Um, what I want to talk to you a little bit about today is my um, kind of my watchword, so character, professionalism, and resilience. So I'm, I'm going to start with um, I'm going to start with character, and I'm going to share a little bit with you what I what I talked to the senior chief about, and um, what I want to get, and what I want to develop within the district is um, this idea of culture of respect. So we all know that our our uh, our core values respect, honor, devotion to duty, but to create a culture of respect and um, to make sure that everyone feels included. So how many people in here, raise your hand if you ever were like the new kid in school, anywhere, right? New kid in school or new, new kid in the sports team, right? Some kind of, yeah, okay. So what was it like the first day of school when you went, you know, you're, you're, it's lunchtime now and you're standing there with your tray or you're standing there with your, you know, your lunch that you brought from home and you're like, where am I gonna sit? Right? Everyone's probably had that feeling at some point in time. Where, where am I gonna, where am I gonna sit? Who, who am I gonna talk to? Right? And that's a really uncomfortable feeling, isn't it? You're like you kind of you sort of looking around for a friendly face, and a lot of people are, they're either not making eye contact with you, or they're like giving you like you know the stink eye, like they're warning you off, right, with their with their expression or their body their body position. Um, has anybody ever had an, an experience where you've been in that sort of, and then someone's like, hey, why don't you sit with me? Anybody ha- ever had that experience? You experience? So tell me about it. Seaman, Edelman, is that right? Yes, sir. Did I pronounce that right? Yes. Okay. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Uh, it was kind of interesting. Like this one time I was in school, and I was new. I didn't know anybody. I was homeschooled before then, and I was in between elementary school and high school and I had been in public school for like four years and then I had joined into public schooling and when I first arrived it was kind of like I didn't know anybody everything was different right and then at first I was kind of like sitting by myself kind of thing and then out of nowhere somebody's like hey yeah over here come over come do this yeah and from there boom that was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Took off. Yeah. So I bet you were very uh, appreciative of that person's kind of reaching out to you. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. Anybody else got a story like that? Anybody? Wow. So everyone had to eat lunch by themselves the first day? That sucks. Okay. So uh, so think about that. You know, it, you guys are, you know, there might be some new people here, but right now you are Team Station Fairport, right? You're, this is Station Fairport. This is like, a, you know, um, and we're, we're going to have new people show up. All right? You're going to have new people show up here from boot camp. You're going to have new people show up here from, from uh, A schools. Um, you're going to have new people rolling in next summer, you know, the normal assignment rotation, right? What kind of experience are they going to have their first day? What kind of impression are they going to have? You know, obviously they're coming in. They want to make a good impression on you. But I want you to think about how do you collectively, as a group, make a good impression on them? How can you be that that? other student that Seaman Edelman had that said, hey, come sit with me, right? How can you do that? Like, I want you to, th- like, really think about this, you know, and you don't have to answer me right now, but, you know, as a, as a group, as a team, to think about, like, I don't, when, when someone new shows up here, I want them to feel welcome. I want to feel, I want to make them feel like they belong as soon as possible. And, um, and for people that are here right now, and 
maybe you haven't done that before, like today's a great day to start, right? Today's a great day to kind of reach out. Now, why do you think most people don't reach out? Why, why don't, why, why was, there was only one example of someone that reached out to someone else. Why do you think most people don't do it? Just throw out there ideas. Yes? Maybe shy. Shy, they're shy. Okay. Fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. So, do you think if, um, in his case, he he was he was already being rejected. But the person that reached out to him, do you think that he would have rejected the person that reached out to him? Possibly. Yeah. Okay. All right. What else? What other reasons? Yes. Back. The same may not have been done for them. Right. Right. You know what I think it is. I think it's fear. I think it's feared, and you know, and we're and we're talking, you know, the, the stories we just talked about was a little bit, you know, high school, but right. So, you're in high school. You're in this group of people that all know each other, and uh, there's this sort of new person that shows up. Do I want? And I'm in this sort of group of my friends. Do I want to be the person that reaches out and then maybe have my friends kind of uh, like, what are you doing? Right? We don't want that guy to, you know, like. So there's this fear, I think, of criticism within our own inner circle, like fear of reaching out and sort of welcoming someone else. So I think that's one reason. So the reason I talk about fear is because I don't, I don't think anybody in here is not brave. I mean, you <laughs> try to relax, Storm. Um, I, don't, I don't think anybody here, you know, I think if you join the Coast Guard and you do the kinds of things that you do, that you are brave, you're physically brave, right? You, do, you, you demonstrate that, like, all the time. But we're talking about sort of uh, what, um, I have a friend of mine, his name is, um, uh-oh, I just lost it. I might come back to it. Anyway, he talks about slow courage, right? So the slow courage that's involved in sort of moral choices that we make when we have time to think about things, right? Like, so this now, do I invite this person to sit with me or not, right? So you have time to think about it. You know, if the person, if it's the same person, like started choking, you probably wouldn't hesitate to get up and do the Heimlich maneuver and you know save their life. But now, but we hesitate to say, hey, why don't you sit with me? You know, hey, where are you from? How, what's your name? How's it going? You know, do you have kids? So, so I want you to practice this slow courage as well as you practice the fast courage. Um, so be inclusive. You know, we talk a lot about diversity inclusion. That's really what inclusion is. That's all it is is making someone feel welcome, making them feel part of the team. All right? Now, if you are new, or kind of new, everyone has five things that they can contribute to a team. I'm talking about teamwork, because I think culture, you know, culture of respect and teamwork kind of go together. So they have five things. You have skills. Well, let me just put it this way. You have knowledge, skills, abilities, time, and effort. So knowledge, skills, and abilities, there's a, lot, there's a lot of variation in this room of those, those three things, right? So I would assume that um, Senior Chief Skinner has the most knowledge about small boat stations and small boat operations and OIC stuff more than anybody else in this room. That's a knowledge thing. And he's probably the most proficient. Although right now, because he's OIC, he may not be the most proficient person. So there's this sort of what I would call... Um, latent proficiency, right? And then there's like recent proficiency, right? So, um, and the latent proficiency, I, I, have a lot of, I have a lot of latent proficiency when it comes to flying a helicopter. I haven't flown in a long time, but it's a little bit, you get so many hours doing it, it's a little bit like riding a bike. 
and um, you know I can kind of get back into it quickly. Now, could I go out today and land on the back of a ship and in you know eight foot seas? Mm, you would don't. I would I would should not be your first choice as the pilot. <laughs> no, I've done it before, but yeah, no, I'm not at the top of my game. So, knowledge, skills, and abilities, right? Um, but what everyone has sort of an equal, you know, the kind of equal playing field is time and effort. Everyone has the same amount of time, and, ev- and everyone can contribute the same amount of effort towards that team. So if you're new and you feel like, ah, I don't have anything to contribute, I, I, don't, I don't know that much about what's going on, I'm still learning, you know, I'm still trying to qualify as boat crew or, or on my watch, or I'm still trying to qualify as coxswain, that's okay. That's okay. I mean, the, no one expects every person to show up here like completely qualified and to completely do everything. There's, you know, there's a pyramid, right? So, but what you do have is, is effort and time, and you own that, right? We all own our own time. Now, so, certainly some of us have more discretionary time than others. I mean, who, where's the XPO? Where do you go? How many kids? I have two kids. Oh, wait, no, wait. Oh, the EPO, where's he at? You have five going on six, right? So you have less discretionary time right now than you did five kids ago. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, right? So there's, you know, there are some differences there, right? But if you're a single person, you have a lot of discretionary time and you can choose how to use it however you want. Um, but know this, like if you put some extra time in here, it, it will help you become part of the team faster, you know, and your effort. Like you, that's one of the things that I fell in love with with the Coast Guard when I first joined, you know, because I'm not this, I'm not typically the smartest person in the room. And uh, I didn't know much about the Coast Guard. I didn't know much about boats. I didn't really grow up on the water other than I was a lifeguard, but, you know, as far as boating and stuff like that. But what I found was right away was if I put my effort into something and try to learn it and just, you know, I'm like going to give it my all, that was appreciated and that was recognized. And I'm like, wow, I can do that, right? I don't have to know anything going up front. I can just learn. So that is the coolest thing about the Coast Guard. So as far as being a part of the team, recognize, you know, recognize people for the, what they offer in terms of those five things, and everyone, everyone's going to be able to contribute to the team, right? Um, and then um, professionalism. So how many, people, how many people joined the Coast Guard because they were interested in the mission of the Coast Guard? How many people? Raise your hand. Right? Because you're interested in the mission. Okay. All right. I'm going to pick on somebody here. Petty Officer Howler? Yeah. How, why did you join the Coast Guard? Uh, I joined the Coast Guard to, as a stepping stone in my career. Um, I came in to have retirement and then found a love for law enforcement, which is one of my continuing at that period of my time. Okay. So you're interested in law enforcement, right? What, did, what about law enforcement interests you? Uh, it's really the um, the search of whatever it is. It could be the person that's, you know, not safe on the water, or it could be, you know, the high-stakes stuff that I wish we could do here that we don't see a lot of. Okay. So any, anything between from there. All right. So, but what I'm kind of reading between the lines is is you, you're interested in helping people yes. through, through law enforcement, right? Okay. Um, Someone that did not raise their hand about, you know, whether you joined for the mission, I want to hear from somebody else why you joined. Anybody? Yes, right here. Yes, I joined uh, mostly to do something different. 
Okay. As I wanted to do something. That's great. Something different. We definitely that. I did kind of the same thing. Yeah. I had a. Um, I was working as a. I had gone to one quarter of college, and uh, I did, it wasn't for me at the time. And so I went back home. I was living at home, and I got a job at the grocery store where I had worked as, in high school. And um, I was working pretty much full time there. And I was standing there one day. I was a cashier, and it was a very small town, very small little grocery store. There was two other ladies that had worked at this grocery store their their whole lives, and they were probably in their fifties, right? I was I wasn't even twenty. I was probably nineteen. I remember standing there one day, and I was, you know, there was a kind of a break in the action, and I, they were on the other side of the, where the checkout lines were, and they were talking, and um, I got along with them all right, I mean, didn't, but I remember looking at them, and, and I just sort of had this epiphany, I'm like, I have to get out of here, because I am going to be them if I don't get out of here, right? And there wasn't anything wrong with them, it wasn't like they were bad people or anything, but I just like, I got to do something different. I don't, you know, maybe I'll come back and work at this grocery store. But I don't know what else is out there, so I wanted to do something different. But anyway, so the, the point of this discussion is we all joined to do something other than work at McDonald's. I'll just say that much, right? It's, it's more than that. It's more than just sort of a job. It's a calling. It's a team. It's a, you know, it's a mission. And so given that, we need to be professionals at it. We need to be proficient at it. And proficiency, the only thing proficiency is is reps, it's doing something over and over and over again until you get good at it, right? And so it might be, you know, it might be a man overboard drill. It might be tying a knot. It might be fixing something and, and learning, you know, taking apart an engine and putting it back together again and doing it over and over and over again. That's how you get good at something. So that's what proficiency is. That's why we have, we have minimums. But minimums don't make you proficient. Minimums basically kind of get you barely qualified. It's what you do above the minimums and how you do it and how you train to make it realistic, right? So there's this one thing that you have to do in a helicopter as far as men's is these approaches to the water. So you're, you're basically simulating that you're above the cloud deck and you have a, a boat or a person in the water in the, in the water down here. You know where they are and then you do a, you do a, um, either do a manual approach to the water or an automated approach to the water, and you do this whole pattern, and you come down and you get into a hover over top of them, and you know you go through the whole, you know, hoisting evolution. Well, you can do them in. You can just kind of go through the whole motion. You get down here, and you kind of just fly out. You're like check, got the check, right? Because hoisting is a different man. But if you want to make it realistic, you get down here. You know, and you get to the, you get down here to over the person in the water, and actually come into a hover, because that's actually the hardest part. It's to, it's to transition from flying around up here and being on the gauges and doing all this stuff to getting down here and now I'm looking out, you know, the window and there's the boat or there's the person and I got to come into a stable hover. That's the hardest part. So that's what I'm talking about, making it realistic, making it so that the first time I have to do something like that isn't when I have a real case, right? So that's when I'm talking about proficient. We're here for a reason. And in order to accomplish that reason, accomplish that mission, we need to be professionals and we need to be proficient at what we do. Um, one of the things that we're going to do, um, we're, sh we're shifting our focus. There is bad stuff going on out here other than people's fire extinguishers being lapsed, right? We, we thought there was a, uh, we looked at Marblehead, we looked at the islands, we thought there was a drug threat. Um, it's like drug trafficking. What we found is not so much drug trafficking, but we think there's some um, human trafficking 
um, across the lakes because it's a border, right? So we think there's human trafficking both back and forth from here to Canada and, you know, within the going to the lakes because that's sort of a spring break thing. So what we're doing is we're, we're looking at intel and we're looking at in, in targeting our boardings to look at these kinds of these emerging threats. So when we do boardings, and you'll see more, and you may have seen this already with some of the message traffic that's come out, but so rather than getting on boarding and just doing your standard uh, boarding and checking life jackets, and obviously we still need to do that because that's a, that's a part of our job, but we want, we want you to get information on the people on board. We want you to pay attention to what else is going on. You know, is it is it just mom and dad and the kids, or is there something else, right? I mean, is there something that not quite right about this crew, right? And and asking for names, and um, you know, there'll be some more guidance on like the particulars of that. But we we're, we're going to use that information on those quality boardings. I want quality boardings to sort of build this network out and do a little bit more research in what's really going on out there, and then target that you know into a larger operation. So that's that's one of the that's the direction we're heading this year. Um, and then the last thing I want to talk about is resilience. Um, not so much here, but across the the ninth district, we're having huge problems with infrastructure and flooding, and um, it's really taking a toll on some of our crews. They're spending time, you know, not right now, but you know, they're spending time, um, you know, keeping the basements from getting flooded with pumps and and having to move sandbags around. They did that this summer in lots of places, and I want to. I want to remove the barriers that keep you from doing your job, keep you from being proficient. And, and flooding, unfortunately, is one of those barriers. Um, it's, it's not going to be an easy thing to do, but that's one of my priorities as far as resilience, as far as infrastructure resilience. The last thing, well, actually, I'm going to stop there, and um, I'm going to let Master Chief talk. So good morning. So it, it's awesome to be here and see everybody. Uh, last time I was here, I didn't get to see everybody, just a couple familiar faces. Um, but it's, uh, it's really cool. So I'm, what I'm going to like to do, quick intro, right? Love to open it up for questions and answers with the Admiral and I. And then while she does her tour, anybody who wants to stay behind, um, I would love to get a little one-on-one and then see what, anything else that you guys want to talk about, right? So um, I got almost, uh, see, this coming March, I'll have 25 years in, right? I got 20 weeks of boot camp without being reverted. So wrap your mind around that for a second. And uh, I love it. They're gonna let me stay a third year up in the Great Lakes, so you guys aren't gonna get rid of me. So uh, after you guys, we have this conversation, right? Hopefully you'll feel more comfortable, and if you have an issue that your command cadre can't resolve, then let me jump in and see what I can do to help out. So uh, I love being here, I love doing what I do, and uh, they'll have to kick me out. So um, that's it, so uh, Q&A time. So uh, who wants to start? What do you want to ask the Admiral and I? Here's an example of slow courage. <laughs> Physical courage comes easy, right? It's that moral courage is a little tougher. All right. Yeah, yes. Uh, yes, ma'am. Uh, with your experience in aviation, do you see uh, Coast Guard aviation expanding anywhere else in the Great Lakes uh, further to the east? Or can oh. it covered from, uh, from well, I mean, technically, we can cover it from Detroit. It's a little, t- it's a little tricky because they only, you know, they can only fly on one bag of gas, and then when they get over here, when they get over to like Buffalo, they have to land and get gas. Fairport, you, I mean, from Fairport, I, I uh, or from Detroit, you can get to Fairport pretty easily, and you still have some search time on you. I mean, you do have to get gas probably to get back to Detroit, but that's why we have airports. So now we're looking at maybe doing some. Uh, we're looking at doing some maybe um, targeted ops um, next summer, 
with you know with sort of larger events in Buffalo and maybe putting a helicopter out there for a weekend or something like that. We are looking at the possibility of doing that, but as far as permanently, no, no. Yeah, good question though. Thank you. I got some good pictures here if you want to see them. One of your ops. Oh. With the station. Okay. Good. Summer. Good. Yeah. All right. Other questions. If you guys don't ask me questions, I'm going to start asking you questions. That's kind of how it works. Yeah. Do you see doing more, the past two commands looked at doing more towards paddle sports. Do you see that continuing on? Do you see that increasing as far as the mission? Well, I mean, that's kind of an auxiliary thing, the paddlecraft stuff. I mean, it's where we're pushing, uh, you know, because a lot of times where we have kayaks and those kinds of things are, are um, like the Cuyahoga River is a good example. I mean, that's not your AOR, but... Um, it's def- difficult for us to get there, and you know you want to kind of be on the water, you know. But the problem is, you know, for people to qualify as the paddlecraft qualification, it's it's tough. Um, so, as far as expanding, doing anything else like at the station level for a paddlecraft, I don't see us doing that. I was other thinking more from the standpoint there was concern about too many deaths resulting from paddle sports and lack of training and. Well. There's been a, there was a lot of there was about a hundred deaths to, total on the lakes last year. I don't know breakdown wise how many were paddlecraft. I, I can tell you a lot were um, short you know from the shore. They weren't even boating accidents. They were just shoreline um, you know just people going out on the beach not understanding riptides. Um, I think you guys had the case where. The two young guys were, were diving, and they didn't realize how, you know, the water, I mean, that was a high water incident, right? But the high, the high water had hit the rocks, and, you know, so we had a lot of those kind of deaths. Um, that's just, we, we're working at educating the public more about the, those kinds of hazards, and, and paddlecraft would be part of that. So, yeah. Other questions? You had, you were, raise your hand. Cottrell. Yeah, it's tough. That's right. Uh, semen animal. Curious about the leading innovation. Do we have any new technologies or new things in the work going on? Well, we have a um, UAS, unmanned aerial system. We have one in the entire district. Uh, we have uh, one pilot, and she's actually a YN2 on board the Hop or Hollyhock. And uh, but we want to get. We have some other people who finished the um, kind of basic. Uh, ground training and we need to get them qualified you know on the actual device and so we're 7-eleven uh, people in headquarters have to come and do that so we're trying to get some more people qualified and, and use those kinds of uh, that kind of technology more in uh, larger operations we've used it up in uh, Detroit for you know they have some of these unsanctioned maritimes events like raft off and float down and you know we have just thousands and thousands of people out there on a on a you know pool toy, and um, so we've used it at that. So we're looking at expanding that. Yes, yeah. Good question. Thank you. Other questions. All right. Who is the newest? Who's who's got the earliest or the latest boot camp date? You? you? Yeah, you're there. What's your what's your boot camp number? What's what's company you're in? I'm control. You don't have Delta to say that, too. 198. Delta 198. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty recent. Okay, when did you graduate from boot camp? When? Graduated 
They're usually etched in everyone's memory. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. When were you set free? I was set free like the 31st of 30th. December. December. Okay. All right. Now that's that's new. You're brand new. Right. Okay. All right. So this, all of you, team, team Fairport, we want to make sure Seaman Edelman gets in, integrated into the team as soon as possible. It's all on you guys. All right. So who here has the um, earliest, other than me, who here has the earliest boot camp date? Oh. <laughs> what is it? What it what <laughs> one five Foxtrot one five three? Senior, you beat that? No? No. <laughs> <laughs> you can't beat that? What year was reserved? I was reserved. Oh, all right. Foxtrot one which when did you go? What year? Uh ninety eight. Okay. All right. Well. So who can get who can guess my who, who can guess my number? Anyone? <clears throat> No? Admiral, that sounds like a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably, you're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie 115. Yeah. Yeah, that was in uh, 1983. I've only met one person that had an earlier one. It was a civilian. At, yeah. Was that in Detroit? Lake, no, it was Lake Michigan. Lake Michigan, yeah. The civilian in the back. He was like <laughs> something 103 or something. I was like, whoa, all right, you win. Um, so I want to I want to share. We're gonna I'm gonna leave, and, and you guys can ask uh, Mass Chief some more questions. Um, you know, without me here, without the command cadre here, uh, we recorded this part is a podcast. It's something new that we're trying to do to help communicate with the, the field. Um, and the next, but the next part will not be recorded. Um, the uh, with Mass Chief. So you, you know, you can be a little bit more open and uh, ask some more questions with him. But the last thing I want to share with you is. Um, the issue of suicides in the Coast Guard. It's, it's, you know, I don't know, maybe some people would say I'd be overdramatic if I called it a, a, an epidemic, but it is, a, it is a huge problem and it's growing. And, um, and the reason I say that from my own experience, when I was Chief of Staff in D13 in 2014 to 16, I saw a, f- I saw a few. I've seen, I've seen more, you know, suicide ideations or attempts since I've been in D9, at D9, in six months than I saw the entire two years when I was in D13. And that was just, whatever, four years ago, right? So, um, you know, there's there's a lot of reasons for, you know, for it. You know, there's um, there's addictions, there's alcohol, there's drugs, there's there's just, de- there's depression, there's a lot of reasons. But um, I want to share with you a, a story about my own kind of journey with this. Um, when, I was, when I was stationed in Chicago, uh, I was a lieutenant, in about two years, I, w- I had made aircraft commander, so I'd really kind of accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish in the Coast Guard. Um, and at that point, I became depressed. I did not know that I was depressed because I didn't know it was a thing. Like, I just thought I was bummed out. I thought there wasn't enough sunlight. I thought I was grumpy. I, you know, I just didn't, I couldn't put a name to it. I didn't know what was wrong with me. And it only got worse. And if you've ever had, if you've ever suffered from clinical depression, you kind of know what I'm saying. A lot of people don't know that clinical depression actually has. There's physical symptoms that go with it. There, there aren't is it things that you can that a, per, a person can see, observe, unless they know what they're looking for. But the physical symptoms are. You feel like you're walking in quicksand. Like literally, like it takes more and more effort to. You feel like, you know, the gravity that we all, uh, you know, are subject to. Like you're somehow like you're on a different planet that has a higher gravity, and you, you know, so it's just harder to move. Um, this brain fog. 
is a big deal. It's this 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 thing you can't turn off the inner dialogue that's just constantly you know kind of telling you how worthless you are. Um, it's just ongoing and it's it's miserable. I would not wish it on my worst enemy. So this went on for I don't know a couple months. I don't even know how long it went on. Well, then one day I had a flight. I was flying with the XO. We were both aircraft commanders, but because he was senior to me, he was there. He was the you know he signed for the aircraft. I was the co-pilot. We flew from Chicago. We flew down Lake Michigan, down and around. It was I remember it was cold out, so we typically didn't fly across a lot. We flew down. We went to the other side. We were like Grand Haven, and then we flew across back to um, to Chicago. Pretty routine flight. It was it was uh, you know it was kind of a patrol slash training flight. Um, we flew across Lake Michigan, and um, we landed. Well, at some point in there, we must have done the landing checks, and it would have been my responsibility to initiate it as a co-pilot. We had a checklist. You pull out the checklist. Okay, we're going to do landing checks now. Put the gear down. You do this, you know, 10-step thing. When, after we landed, I remember he was signing. This is back before we Dalmas. He's signing for the book, and I remember walking back to the locker room to change and uh, thinking to myself, I don't remember any part of the last part of that flight. I couldn't recall any of it. I couldn't recall, like I could remember taking off, I could remember being down at the bottom of the lake, but the actual flight across the lake, could not recall any of it. Couldn't recall doing the landing checks, which terrified me. Because I was a duty stander. I was an aircraft commander. I typically, and I, we stood a lot of duty there. We didn't have very many people. So I was like one in three, one in four, for four years. So. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, if I'm the aircraft commander, I'm the most senior person, experienced person in the plane, and I don't remember to do the landing checks because I can't, you know, I can't recall what happened, I'm going to put my crew in danger. So again, I'm not knowing what's wrong with me, so I go to the XO and I ask him, uh, did we do the landing checks, you know? I don't ask it like that because I was really serious. He goes, well, yeah, like, I mean, otherwise, you know, we, the gear wouldn't have been down. We would remember that. Right? Yeah, we would have remembered that. So... I told him this whole story. He was very concerned. He was in 04. I was uh, 03 at the time. He called the flight dock over. We had a Navy flight dock there at Glenview. A Navy flight dock came over, sat down with him in the wardroom. We had this long conversation. He kind of asks me this whole screening questionnaire for depression. Again, I don't have any idea. He, he gets through this whole thing and, you know, questions like, you know, do you enjoy, uh, do you not enjoy doing the things you normally enjoy doing? Yeah, I don't enjoy doing anything. You know, I want to go out. I want to talk to people. You know, I'm overly emotional about everything. So anyway, he's like, well, I think you're depressed. He's like, do you have a plan? You know, are you thinking about killing yourself? Well, I said, well, I thought about it. Do you have a plan? Uh, not a very good one. He, you know, I'm like, sort of. So, I mean, that's one of the ways they judge, you know, how serious your depression is. And he goes, all right, well, promise me one thing. Promise me that you won't do anything to harm yourself without calling me first. He gave me his phone number. And, uh, you know, he's like, you know, eye to eye looking at me, telling me this. And I'm, I'm like, okay, I promise. And, uh, and um, I went home. I didn't feel any better <laughs> other than the fact that there was, there was a name to something, right? There was, it, there was, I could put a name to what was wrong with me. And he said, look, you, one of the symptoms is you don't know that you can get better. You feel like there's no hope. He asked me that. He's like, do you feel like you can ever feel better? I was like, absolutely not. I can never feel better. He's like, would you believe me if I told you that you were wrong and that you could feel better? I go, well. And I, I had, you know, I knew this doc, and so I trusted him. I'm like, okay. I mean, I'll, I'll believe you for now. And he goes, okay. 
Right, so I went and saw a psychiatrist. I got put on some antidepressants. I couldn't fly during that time. For about six months, I couldn't fly. I went and saw a psychiatrist. I got counseling. I did the whole thing. And then I got better. And then, I, you know, after about six months, I went off the meds. And then six months later, I was able to fly again. And, uh, but I owe it all to the uh, supportive command, incredibly supportive command that was willing to listen, and a, and a doc. And so the reason I'm telling you this is it's... Suicide. And my, one of my counselors told me this, and I, you probably heard this before, but it's a it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Whatever problem it is that you're facing, or that you think that there's no end, that it could never be better, we, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong, 100% wrong. Now, you may not feel that I'm right, uh, and that you're, but that's part of the symptom. This, you know, that's the danger of depression. Is the symptom it lies to you. This, so you really can't even believe what you think or you, what you think you know. You actually have to just trust people who are trustworthy. You have to trust the senior chief. You have to trust other people. So I just want to say to you, if you're in this position right now, if you feel this way right now, ask for help today. Don't wait. Ask for help. If you ever find yourself in that position, ask for help. If you know someone who feels this way, help them. Get them help. Right? There is a solution it absolutely is a solution. And one more thing I'll tell you about. So I think my, my recovery, um, I feel blessed that I was in the Coast Guard when this happened and I had a supportive command. But, you know, the, the, I would say the number one thing for me was my faith. The number one thing. So you can't sleep. You don't sleep well when you're depressed. You, you, you sleep at weird times. You want to sleep during the day and you're awake during the night. You know, so I'd wake up at night, like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I would feel literally like I'd feel like I'm, I'm in this pit like this dark pit where you can't even see, you know, your hand in front of your face. You know, if you've ever seen, you know, something that dark. And um, you feel like, oh, my gosh, I can't get out. Like, I don't even see a ladder. I don't have any way out. And you're just so depressed. You're so miserable. But in that pit, I can tell you, for me, this Jesus Christ was in that pit with me. Right? And that was my lifeline. He was my lifeline. And that's how I ended up getting out. And so I just want to share that with you as, like, it... It's not the end. It doesn't have to be the end, right? It's 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 a it's a speed bump. Well, it's more than a speed bump. It's a tough. It's a tough challenge. But I'm convinced that that I went through that for a reason. There's no there's not there was no accident to that. I went through that with, for a reason. And and what I'm trying to do now is share that with you so that someone else can get better. So um, you know we're lifesavers. That's one of the things we do. So we can save our own lives, and we can save the lives of our shipmates and uh, just listening to one another and knowing one another and, and getting help, right? Okay, with that, I'm going to take my leave of y'all, and you keep your seats. I'll leave you with Master Chief. Perfect, thank you. Okay, all right. Carry on, thanks. <laughs>